If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open with me to Luke chapter 8. The Gospel of Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to camp out this morning. And welcome to week 5 of our series that we are calling Where There's Smoke, where we are examining different emotions and feelings and how they function um, like smoke coming from a fire. It was St. Augustine who said that our emotions do just that, always revealing the condition of our hearts to us. So think of it like this, as we said from the beginning, if you smell smoke in your house, it's never wise just to ignore it. We must identify it. We must remedy it. If there is a, a fire in our house, we must put it out, whatever that means. And over the last four weeks, we've looked at some pretty heavy topics already, depression, um, anxiety, anger, and envy, yet today it gets much, much heavier. For this morning, we are looking at the smoke or the fire um, of shame. And I prayed about this. I know that there's probably pastors all over Jacksonville um, and Florida that today are preaching messages about storms, some storm-related. And I thought about that because of all the things that's going on. And as I was praying about it, the Lord spoke to me and I felt like the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, I would not have any of my children to live one more week in shame. Therefore, this is the message for today. And what I believe is this, what I know is most of us have something in our past that we're ashamed of, something that we did or something that was done to us that we still don't want anyone to know about. We, we all have shame of that I am Sure. And just think about what shame is. Shame is the painful emotion that is caused by a consciousness of guilt or of failure or impropriety that often results in a paralyzing belief that you are worthless, that you are no value to others, that you are even no value um, to God, that you are unacceptable, that you are altogether deserving of rejection. And although guilt and shame were, were born, um, or that they're twins, they were born in the same garden, um, only moments apart, they're not identical. And let me just show you quickly the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is normally tied to an event. I did something bad. But shame is tied to an identity, meaning I am bad. So guilt says I did something bad, shame says I am bad. Guilt is the wound, but shame is the scar. Shame feels like it's welded onto us, whereas guilt is outside of us, kind of pushing in. Uh, shame is inside of us. Guilt says I made a mistake, shame says I am the mistake. Understand the difference. Guilt says I made a mistake, shame says I am am the mistake. In shame, we connect what we did with who we are. Therefore, we feel worthless and we feel rejected. Let me just tell you a few things that shame declares over us or to us. Shame says, I am defective. I am damaged. I am broken. I am flawed. I am dirty. I am ugly. I am impure. I'm disgusting. I'm unlovable. I'm weak. I'm pitiful, I'm powerless, I'm insignificant, I'm worthless, I'm unwanted. You know, if you're sitting in shame today, I don't have to tell you any of those things because you've already told yourself those things. You're already preaching to yourself that message. That identity of all of those things has become a permanent part of how you see yourself. And just think about how shame works. 
Shame can arise out of feelings of guilt over things that we have done. So we, we do things or have done things that we cannot escape and we cannot allow ourselves to forget. Do you believe that the worst sin in your life has been separated from you as far as the east is from the west? Or do you believe that you still have to wear that shame like a scarlet letter? And many feel like they still have to wear it. And then others, the shame doesn't come from what you've done. It comes from what other people have done to you. For many people, that shame is something traumatic that happened in their past. They were abused or assaulted, whether it be sexually, whether it be physically, verbally, emotionally. And abuse and assault can happen in so many different ways. And it's not uncommon, hear this, it's not uncommon for the, the victim of abuse to have more shame than the actual one who committed the abuse. It's not uncommon for the one who was abused to have more shame and connection with it. There's others that were, you were talked to or you were treated in ways that communicated that you're no good, that you're worthless, that you're damaged, and now that has soaked into your soul and that is how you see yourself. Someone has so abused you verbally that you believe the things that they have said over you. Or maybe others, their, their shame is a disability, something about themselves, a weakness, something that's happened in their lives or something unwanted that, that came, and yet it is there. Christian counselor Ed Welch defines shame this way, and I think this is just an amazing definition. He says, shame is the deep sense that you are inerrantly flawed, unacceptable, and unworthy of love because of something you've done, something done to you, or something associated with you. In the midst of our shame, some of us are unsure of God's acceptance. We're, we suspect that God's disappointed um, with our best efforts. In fact, we don't even think that God can love the present or the past version of us. We think that God has to love a future version of us. So therefore, we work trying to get rid of that, but that doesn't go away. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to walk through the story of a woman who was consumed with shame. And I want us to see how Jesus lifted her out of her shame. And then I want us to understand, I want us to know that therefore there is hope for us today. Because Jesus lifted her out of her shame, he will lift us out of our shame. We don't have to be consumed by that shame anymore, no matter where that shame came from. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to read Luke 8 verses 40 through 48 together. There's a story about a woman filled with shame, but first we're introduced to another, another person, and we're going to see a contrast here, a beautiful contrast. So verse 40, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, 
the crowd surrounds you and are pressing on you. So basically, Peter says, Jesus, everyone has touched you. Everyone's touching you. Why would you ask such a thing? And then verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. And God, this is such a heavy topic. Lord, the shame of our lives is so heavy, but it's a heaviness that we all feel or have felt. And yet it is a heaviness, Lord, that you do not desire for us to bear. For you have taken that upon yourself. Today we pray that any in this room would be delivered from shame, that we would come to find ourselves in your eyes through your confession as those who are clean those who are well, those who are now at peace with you. Just speak to us, God, we pray. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. But just think about this. There was a time in, in existence where shame did not exist when man and woman walk freely with God and with one another in perfect fellowship without any form of shame you know, just imagine what it would be like to have no secrets imagine what it would be like to have no skeletons in your closet no guilt nothing that you're afraid that someone else might find out about just imagine the freedom of having no shame but then as we're told in Genesis 3 sin happened and sin entered the world and sin and shame immediately took over paradise adam and eve did the best to cover up their sin and then they covered up themselves from each other and then when they heard god walking they hid from him as god exposed their sin they blamed each other adam said it was the wife you gave me it was her fault I mean, think about this. That's never a good idea to look at God and say, God, what you gave me is a problem. And it's never good to blame your wife. Just, I mean, just, I'm just saying, just throwing that out there um, this morning. And then eventually they would blame the serpent and that became um, the, the issue. But ever since, shame has plagued humanity. And how about us this morning? What shame are we wearing today? What burdens are we carrying as we come to Luke 8, chapter, or Luke 8, verse 40, Jesus is now a celebrity. Crowds can't get enough of him. He's doing all these miracles. They can't get enough of all the things that he's doing. And in this crowd, on this day, is a desperate woman who is filled with shame. Yet ultimately, in a weird twist, the story of this woman who is filled with shame doesn't even begin with her. It begins with a man named Jairus. And this is done so that we could see this amazing contrast. We're going to see in, in two of our points today a beautiful contrast. So in the time that we have remaining, what I want us to do is I want us to unpack three truths today. Two concerning our shame and one concerning our Savior. So two points today concerning our shame and one point today concerning our 
Savior. So the first is this. Our shame makes us outcast. Our shame makes us outcast. Just look at verses 42 through 44 again. You can see it on the screen. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she has spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And think about who's writing this. Luke is writing this. What did Luke do for a living? Okay, he was a physician. This is what he did. This is what he knew. He, he knew this woman had no hope. No doctor could help her. And it says, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Probably no one in the Bible experienced more shame than this woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, which was a, a polite way of saying she had a disease that produced an uncontrollable menstrual flow. This meant that not only was she sick, but literally she was suffering from a severe and chronic pain. She was unable to have children, and according to Jewish law, she was considered to be ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. She was considered to be unclean. She hadn't been allowed in public for 12 years. No public worship service, no place where people could contact her. She had not been a part of a true community for 12 years. It means that for 12 years, no one had touched her lest they become unclean. No one had hugged her. No one would even lay a hand on her to even pray for her for 12 years. All that time, 4,380 days, she was unclean, uncomfortable, uncomforted. She was an outcast. She was all alone. Even though she might have been in a community of, of the outcasts, or community of those that were unclean, she was all alone. Just imagine, at one point she had to have hopes and dreams. At one point in her life she had to long for Marriage, family, life, and community, maybe using the gifts, talents, and abilities that she had to do good in society, to do good in the world. Yet, at this moment, it seems like all of her hopes are over. They're all gone. And then there's a glimmer of hope. The Gospel of Mark said this, that the woman had heard about Jesus. Which leads us to ask the question, what had she heard? What has she heard? What had she heard about him? And one pastor put it this way. We know that during Jesus' time, there was a legend that the Messiah would be so powerful that even the wings of his garment would possess healing power. That comes from Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, that says the Son of Righteousness will rise up with healing in his wings. So the, the thought is that maybe she had heard that if I touch the even the hem of his garment there is healing there so her thought is if i can just touch it maybe just maybe maybe just maybe i will be healed but again she's not supposed to be in public if people see her they will scorn her and what would jesus the holy one what would he say to her is there a way that she could possibly steal a miracle from him and then go back into hiding is that a possibility? And here's the picture. Our shame makes us outcast. But then secondly, our shame keeps us anonymous. Our shame keeps us anonymous. Look at verse 41. Here's a contrast here. Verse 41, and there came a man named Jairus. 
And then verse 43, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood. Verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. So just think about the detail that's left out here. This woman is nameless. She has no name. In contrast to Jairus, who everyone knows, Luke leaves the name of this woman out because no one knows and no one cares about her name. And that's intentional. She's hidden. She's invisible to people because that's what shame does to us. Shame makes us invisible. It makes us live in the shadows. It makes us hide lest we get exposed and have to endure more humiliation. The choir in the first service today sang a song, a beautiful song, and it goes, lay down your shame. The problem, though, with us laying down our shame is we're afraid that someone else will see what we've done. If we lay it down, there's a chance that it will be exposed and others will know what I've done. I can just imagine this woman had a face that was covered in shame that kept her out of the public eye, that kept her living behind closed doors. She didn't see herself as being someone that could be seen or someone that could be known. We, and then we watch as this nameless lady with a discharge of blood comes to Jesus. And think about this. And here's what we don't often think about. This cloud was so thick that she was literally contaminating people as she tried to make her way to Jesus. Every person she touched along the way to Jesus in the midst of this crowd, she was contaminating. She was making them unclean. Also, she could get close enough to Jesus to touch him. In her mind, she came as a thief, wanting something from Jesus that she did not believe was rightfully hers, and then wanting to get it and leave unnoticed. And unfortunately, at least from her initial perspective, she got caught. In fact, she got busted. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Who touched me? And of course, I love Peter. I love Peter's response because if, in case you don't understand this, Peter is us. Just about every time Peter opens his mouth, I think of Matthew 16. We read that what, yesterday in our Bible reading plan. Matthew says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, good job, Peter. Good job. That came from God, but good job. And then the very next thing, get behind me, Satan. I mean, Peter just can't help himself. Every time he opens his mouth, just stupid things come out. He just can't help himself. And he says, Jesus, everybody touched you. But Jesus is like, but only one person touched me in faith. Only one person touched me that way. And yet this woman had a problem. Her problem was her problem. And understand this. Everyone who came to Jesus who wanted healing had to first confess what it was they needed from him. So think about that. If you were leprous, you had to first declare that. I'm, I'm unclean. If you were blind, I'm, I'm blind, I'm, I'm deaf. You had to, other people had to know why you were coming to Jesus. And in order for this woman to come to Jesus, she would have to be exposed. Her shame would have to be exposed. And yet Jesus says, identify yourself. Come out of your anonymity. Reveal yourself now. And meekly and humbly, this woman says, it was me. It was me. She stepped back towards Jesus. The crowd now parts. 
in tears, she falls to her knees and she tells everyone what had just happened. She tells everyone. She doesn't keep anything back. And here's the beautiful thing. What happens next might be one of the most profound moments in all of the Gospels because it answers one of the most fundamental questions of all religion, which is this. What happens when you and I are exposed in all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our ugliness before a holy God? What happens when we're exposed in all of our shame before a holy God? How is he going to respond to us and what should we do? And the answer is not only surprising, the answer is amazing. We don't have to hide from him. We don't have to run away in shame before him. Our shame makes us outcast and our shame keeps us anonymous. But that leads us to the greatest truth, which is this. Number three, our Savior declares us whole. Our Savior declares us whole. Listen again to the contrast. Verses 41 and 42. And there came a man named Jairus. That's verse 41. Now 42. Falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So this was a man who had stature in the community. Men of stature in the community, they didn't run and they didn't dare find themselves on their face before other people. Yet here this man is on his face. Why? Because he is advocating. He is fighting for the life of his child. He is doing everything to fight for the life of his child. And then look at verse 48. And Jesus said to this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in Notice the contrast here. There was a 12-year-old girl who had a father who was fighting for her. He was fighting for her. And then there was a woman with a 12-year-old condition, and no one was fighting for her. Think about this. A father with a 12-year-old, he was fighting for her. He was her advocate. He would fight her battles. And then a woman with a 12-year-old condition, and no one was fighting for her. And yet now, this woman who had touched the hem of Jesus' garment stands before Jesus, and he looks at her, and he says, Daughter, don't miss this. Jairus had a daughter that he was fighting for. And now Jesus looks at this woman and he calls her daughter. He doesn't call her stranger. He doesn't just call her woman. He doesn't say, hey, whatchamacallit. He calls her by her name. This is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus addresses anyone in this way. And think about what's happening. Jesus is referring to someone who no one wants. Someone who no one wants. And Jesus is saying, that one right there that no one wants, she's my daughter. The girl that no one would touch is now being embraced by the arms who stretch the stars out across the universe. The one that no one would touch is now being embraced by the arms who would very soon stretch out for her and for us. The name that no one knew, Jesus knew. And don't miss the beauty here. The beauty of it all is this woman who up until this moment had no one to plead for her now has an advocate. For now, Jesus is saying, I'll fight for you. You're my daughter. You are my child. I will plead for you. You are mine. I am for you. I am not against you. 
Jesus is not going to just let her steal a miracle and go off in silence. As much as he wants to heal her, as great as that is, Jesus has something else that this woman has to know. She can't just walk away knowing I'm healed, but yet still have the shame of knowing what she's done. She needs to know that she's loved, that she's accepted, and that she's cherished. I love the words of Pastor Tim Keller who says this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is all of our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. Let me say that again. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known to be known, truly known, but not loved is all of our greatest fear. We're fearful that if somebody knows what we've done, they're not going to love us. But to be truly known, or fully known and truly loved, is a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. And according to verse 48, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He says, you are now clean. You are now well. You can go in peace. Why? Because you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. But let me ask you this question. What normally happens all throughout the Bible? What normally happens when something that is unclean touches something that is clean? What happens to the clean thing? It becomes unclean. All throughout the Old Testament, when something unclean touched the clean thing, the clean thing became unclean. Yet this woman touches Jesus, and he declares her to be clean. But the question becomes, what happened to the uncleanness? Where did it go? And the answer is that Jesus, although we can't see it happen outwardly, Jesus takes her shame into himself. The only way for Jesus to send this woman home in peace was for him to take her shame from her. She's able to go away in peace. She's able to go to her family and have a party. All the while, Jesus continues to the cross where he would be hung in shame and our shame for us. Don't miss it. Don't miss the beauty of it here. So for those this morning that are dealing and sitting with the heavy weight of shame, you need to hear Jesus respond to this woman because this is how he is responding to you right now. He calls her daughter and he's calling you son. And he's calling you daughter. And he's saying you are clean and you are at peace with me. Your identity in him far outweighs the identity that something has put upon you. Please hear this. You are not what you think you are. You are not what others have declared you to be. You are not what others have done to you. You are who Jesus says you are. You are who he says you are. And who does he say you are? You are forgiven. You are free. 
You are redeemed. You are righteous. You are chosen. You are changed. You are deeply loved and deeply accepted. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are a child of God. You are eternally His. You are His masterpiece. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And you are never alone. You're never alone. Alone. You are not what other people have said about you. You are not what the voices inside your head are whispering to you. You are who Christ says you are. And who he told this woman she is, he said, You are a daughter. And you have someone who is now fighting for you. Did you know that one of the most comforting messages in the entire Bible? is that in all of our sin, in all of our weakness, in all of our failure, in all of our shame, hear this, we don't have to hide from God. It's one of the most, the greatest messages in all of Scripture. In all of our shame, in all of our screw-ups, we don't have to hide from Him. In fact, the Bible tells us something else. It says we don't hide from Him, we come to Him. We come to Him. The Bible welcomes us to step out of our darkness into light and to face our reality with honesty and with hope. The reality is there is no sin so deep that Jesus' love doesn't go deeper. You don't have to hide. You don't have to run. You don't have to shrink away in shame. You don't have to stay in the darkness. Remember, there's nothing that can be exposed about you that the cross of Jesus Christ hasn't already covered. There's nothing that could ever be exposed about you that the cross of Jesus Christ hasn't already covered. So what does that mean for us this morning who might be stuck in shame? Christian counselors say that a person held captive by shame needs at least three things. And I'll say at least three things because there's other things, but three things that we can find right here in this story. The first is in the midst of our shame, we need to have our story heard. We need to have our story heard. What I mean by that is this. Our shame makes us live in silence. Our shame makes us live in secrecy. We're afraid of other people finding out what we have done. So therefore, we live in the shadows. But we have to come out of the shadows. We, like this woman, have to take a risk of exposing ourselves if we want to be clean. And here's the thing. Most people who are around you, most people who are around you even right now, are not going to run from you if they find out what you've done. They're going to love you. That's what we're convinced. We're convinced if I, if I have to come clean, if people find out they're not going to love me, they're not going to accept me. Oh, to God that we will never be a church or that we would, if we have been, that we would repent of being a church who has sat on the judgment seat of people and made them felt better or worse about themselves when they're trying to be clean. That when they've come clean, we've said, oh, I knew it about you. And we made them run off again into the darkness. Oh, God, forgive us if that's ever been us. We are not the righteous judge. We aren't the judge. He is. We trust him to do what he does. But in order for, in order for us to get out of shame, we have to speak our shame. 
That's what Brene Brown, a research professor at the University of Houston, calls it. We have to speak our shame. And as we speak it, it diffuses its power. We have to speak it. We have to let it out. We have to declare it. It's what Jesus said. Come clean. You've got to come clean in this moment. We need to have our story heard. Secondly, we need to have our head lifted. We need to have our head lifted in this story. In a sense, Jesus takes the initiative. This woman gets her healing, but Jesus stops everything. He stops everything. Imagine what Jairus must have been thinking in that moment. Jesus, do we really have time for this? Do we really have time for you to play Where's Waldo in this moment? This is not the time for games. Jesus, my daughter's sick. Let's get to her. And yet Jesus stops the whole show and says, someone touched me. The power went out of me. Who is it? And in that moment, Jesus knew everything about that woman. He knew everything about her. He knew every form of shame that she was living in. And the beauty is he raises her head before she could raise it. She's still looking at the ground in shame. She's still looking at the ground in fear. And Jesus looks at her and says, look up, precious daughter. Look at me, precious daughter. And here's what I know. Our shame will keep us from looking up. We, we know we should look, look up. We know God wants us to look up. But we just can't look up. And here's what I love. In Psalm 3, David writes in Psalm 3, and he calls God the lifter of my head. And here's the beauty of that. There are times, brothers and sisters, where our shame will not let us look up. We know we should. We know God wants us to, and we just can't. But in that moment, we cry out to God from a heart of faith, and here's what God does. He takes our heads, and he gently takes our heads from looking down in shame, and he lifts our heads up to us where we look him now in the eye, and we see his love for us, and he says, Take heart, daughter. Take heart, son. I am for you. For you. May we understand the beauty of that. We need to have our heads lifted. And then third, we need to be restored to loving community. We need to be restored to loving community. Filling the embrace of Jesus will give us courage to eventually re-engage with community. The most powerful way for us to combat shame, hear this, the most powerful way to combat shame is for us to know others and for them to know us. We try to, around here, encourage people to live like Jesus lived. In Jesus' life, he had a group of three in his inner circle. And he poured into them and lived life together. But then he also had 12, a, a group that he literally lived with. And they followed him and he uh, imparted to them and um, lived life together. And then we see large crowds and Jesus is always there in the midst of worship. And we encourage you to be a part of the large crowds of, of worship. Be a part of that. It's Good. We want to do that, but we also want to live life together in, in groups and have groups that we can live life with and be honest with. That we can be honest with each other. That's what we need. And then to have those tight groups, um, small groups where we really are able just to unpack and pour out our lives. We need that. Every single one of us need all of those things. And shame will rob us of what we need most. But here's the beauty of it. As, as our shame stories are declared, 
in these communities of, of life that we live together, prayerfully, our stories of shame will not be met with more shame, but instead will be met with compassion and grace. Meaning this, brother or sister, if you are in shame today, I pray that in hearing this, you will have courage to come out of your shame. And I pray that through this church, you will not find um, looks or sayings of shame or more shame or judgment, but instead you will find loving arms that will wrap around you and will point you forever, ever to Jesus. Oh, that is what we need the most. For understand this, Jesus Christ has built his church out of broken people. If you don't consider yourself broken, then you're not in the group. Let me just say it very clearly. If you don't consider yourself broken, you're not in. You're not in. For the only way we can have a Savior is for us to understand we need a Savior. And if you've, never, if you've never admitted or understood your need for a Savior, you're not in. You're not in. If you've never understood that you are broken and only He can put you together again, only He can make you new, then you're not in. Oh, God, that you'd be in, that you'd be in this very day. But we are a broken people who are so stupid that we forget that we were broken and are broken. And therefore, we think we can judge other people for their brokenness. Stop it. Stop it. What, what this world around us needs is not to see people who act like we have it all together when the truth is we know we don't. What they need to see is broken people who know that we need him, we need each other, and, and, and we can't get enough of that. Oh, we need that. We need that. We need to be restored into loving community. Oh, that that would happen today, that you would come out of the shadows, that you would find your all in him. Let me say this kind of in closing. Just because pride moves us to, to hide doesn't mean that we shouldn't hide. Shame, in the midst of our shame, we should hide. So hear this, if you are living in shame today, you should hide. But stop hiding in the wrong places. Instead, find your hiding place in Jesus. Find your hiding place in what he has done for you. Find your hiding place in the fact that he has already taken your shame upon himself on the cross. He is yours and you are his. Let me end today with the words of Ray Orland. I love, I love this, this quote. You're going to see it on the screen. Just uh, squint a little bit if you need to. But it says this. The gospel says your shame is real. Even more real than you know. But this is what God has done. He has put it all onto Christ at the cross where your substitute was utterly shamed for you. Now your shame no longer defines you. Let me say that again. Your shame no longer defines you. What defines you is the word adorned. In Revelation 21.20, not shamed, adorned, lovely, attractive. And the moment is coming, he says, when he will look into your eyes with glad adoration and you will look into his with confident surrender. There is coming a day, but oh to God that we would not live in shame any longer that we would come out of day today come out of the darkness come out of the silence today and that we would allow our savior to meet us right where we are i'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand and we're going to call the musicians forward and enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever it is that god is telling us to do 
May we do it. Let us pray. Father, we come to you now. Oh God, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for how you're working. How you're working in each individual life in this room. Lord, if there's any, if there's any here today that don't know you, God, may today be the day that they understand their condition before you as a holy God. That they are broken. That they are in their shame and they need a Savior because they cannot save themselves. God, help them to cry out to you today for only what you can give them. Salvation through your Son. Through the perfect life, through the death of Jesus, through his resurrection, we can be saved. But also, Lord, I pray for those across this room who walked in this room not even thinking about the shame in their lives, yet in this moment, in this time, that shame has resurfaced. And for some, it's just the enemy. And the enemy's trying to play games, and the enemy's trying to bring up what's already forgiven. But others, it's things that we have that we have never exposed to you, O oh God. And we've never exposed to others for fear of how you would respond or how they would respond. And today, God, by your grace, we need to come out of the shadows. We need to come out of hiding. We need to come out of our silence. And we need to find the cleansing and the freedom and the love and the support and the grace upon grace upon grace that you can give to us. And oh God, help us to not only see ourselves as the recipients of that grace, help us, God, to give out that grace to others. Lord, finish this time. Our sin is great. Your mercy and grace is greater. May your, may your mercy, may your grace win this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.